Collins Dictionary, Word of the Year. I don't know if anyone knows what the Word of the Year is. But it really sums up this year, or so they say. Uh, Previous year's words have been lockdown, climate strike, single use, fake news, Brexit, binge rocks, watch, photobomb, and geek. That's been their words, and it's there to sum up kind of what the the year has been like. Um, The words in the top ten have been, this year have been partygate, quiet, quitting. But the word which has come out on top this year is permacrisis. Has anyone heard of permacrisis before? I've never heard of permacrisis before. Um, And it tells us what it is. Permacrisis. An extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. That's 2022. And if this doesn't depress you enough, I'm going to read from an article which explains, just to give you a little bit more context. Brexit, COVID, war, climate disasters, a tanking economy, political instability, global insecurity, a sense of impending doom. Stay with me, please. Um, there's a single word for this, and it has just, come, just become Collins Dictionary's word of the year, permacrisis. The word is defined as an extended period of instability and insecurity, which some may argue is an accurate summary of the past few years. Collins said it chose the word as it sums up quite succinctly how truly awful 2022 has been for so many people. Yay. Um, We do get to good news. But I want to give us a context of the world we're living in. And I wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder if you can, if you can see that word and see just what I've been saying and think, I can see what they're saying there. It's been completely unstable. Now more than ever, I feel people are searching and asking the question, how can I build a life that endures? People are searching for stability and consistency. We saw the outpouring of grief when the queen died. Part of the reason for that was the period of consistency that we've seen. People are longing for that. Where do we find our hope? The English poet William Ernest Henley, alive 1849 and died in 1903, wrote a poem entitled Invictus, Latin for unconquered. You may have heard it. I'm not going to read it all. But the poem has inspired millions. Nelson Mandela recited it on his darkest days in prison. Henley wrote in Victor's when he was 27 years old, he was battling battling tuberculosis of the bone and was a staunch atheist. The poem ends like this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. When the storms of life come and there is constant instability, the only person you can rely on is you. Does that fill you with any hope? It doesn't fill me with any hope because I know that I'm part of the problem. I know that I'm completely unstable. So if you take God out of the picture and then we are searching for stability, the only person that you can really rely on is yourself. 
who is completely unstable. So what if there was an alternative? What if there was something or someone who could provide ultimate stability, can give you strength that's not dependent of you? I think people in 2022 are desperately crying out for this. Good news is that this exists and it's available to everyone. But with that good news, Jesus gives us a sobering warning right at the end of this message. We're going to jump in right at the end of the, um, of the passage at verse 28, because I want us to consider something before we um, kind of launch into the full um, parable. Verse 28 of our reading says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Firstly, I want us to think about a really fundamental question. One of the most important questions that you could ever ask yourself. This question is really important because it really shapes your viewpoint of the parable that we're going to look into. The question is this, who do you think Jesus is? Or, to put it another way, who is Jesus? Now, you may think that's a strange question, as we are in a church, but I want us to really reflect and think through what we believe about Jesus. Who is he? Is he a good teacher? And just that. Is he a nice man? Is he a wise teacher? A gifted storyteller? Is he an ancient lifestyle guru? Or is he the son of God? Because if he is the son of God, that changes everything. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which is entitled, The Supremacy of the Son of God. I'm going to be absolutely honest with you now. My feeble attempt is to try to make Jesus bigger than you already believe him to be. Because I believe, and myself included, that our vision of Jesus is just way too small. You could have been a Christian for 90 years. You could have been a Christian for nine seconds. But one of my aims is by the Holy Spirit's power is to increase our viewpoint of who Jesus is. John Piper, a famous pastor, calls this passage one of the most concentrated descriptions of Christ's glory in the Bible. This passage says 15, 15 things about how awesome Jesus is. And I'll let you count as we go through. I want you to reflect on it and let it sink in as we read it together. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through blood, through his blood shed 
on the cross. John Piper states in a book, this is worth memorizing. If your heart ever wavers and grows cold, come here. Memorize this litany of glories and ask God to give you affections that correspond to the measure of his greatness. Infinite in beauty, immeasurable. If any person or any power or any wisdom or any love awakens any admiration or any amazement or any joy, let it be the greatest person and the greatest power and the greatest wisdom and the greatest love that exists, Christ Jesus. In typical John Piper language, he is very, very forthright in what he was saying. See, we're not just talking about a good teacher. It needs to be perfectly clear. We're not just talking about a nice man, a guru, a wise teacher, a gifted storyteller. We're talking about the all-powerful, all-reigning God who made the universe. The one who the psalmist describes as the one who determines the numbers of stars and calls each by name. Jesus speaks to these people, and he speaks to you and me with complete authority. A complete and utter authority. There is no one like him. He says to us today, at the end of his message, at the end of his sermon, he says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, these words of mine, Jesus Just take note with how much authority he he has when he speaks. So much so that the crowds are blown away with what he is saying. They were not used to anyone speaking so bluntly to them. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, he means business. I think because we've had this message so many times within Sunday school that for me anyway, as I started to look into it and started to really reflect on it, we could dilute the authority and power that this message has. Jesus is saying, everyone that hears these words of mine. He doesn't say, hear these words of David or Abraham. He says, mine. Now, why is that important? Because in their culture and in our culture, there's so much noise. There's so much stuff you can listen to. There's so much stuff that you can hear. There's so much stuff that, you, that people's opinions on could be on social media or Twitter or whatever, just about different things, about different And Jesus is saying, and he cuts through all of them, and he speaks with complete and absolute authority. He is clear, and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and there is no one that comes to the Father except through me. He is very, very clear in what he says. His words are non-negotiable. Our future depends on the words that come out of his mouth. There's a danger if your viewpoint of Jesus was merely a good teacher. This this parable that we're looking at becomes merely a set of principles. ABC to a better life. Hashtag live your best life now kind of stuff. They become a means to an end. We see loads of books about it. Look at the principles of Jesus and you will have a better business. Look at the principles of Jesus and you will be happy. You do this and you become happy. Your business successful. You make more money. There is a beautiful part part in the Bible which for me sums this up. It's in John 6, uh, verses 66 to 69. And it's where Jesus is teaching his disciples, disciples and some walk away. 
The passage says, From this time many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Jesus has the words of eternal life. It's not just principles, little life hacks for us. It's the words of eternal life that has eternal consequences. So we need to take this really seriously. So with that in mind, we're briefly going to look at Jesus, the Son of God's last point in his sermon to his followers from the Sermon of the Mount. So, summary of the parable. We know it, but I'm just going to give you a very brief summary. There are two men. They both look very similar. You would not, it's not like they look wise and foolish. Both look the same. As both started to build their houses, a casual observer would not have noticed any difference on the outside. However, the real difference of the house was the foundations, which aren't seen. The only time you notice the difference is when the storm comes. When the storm came, the house which was built on the rock, a firm foundation, uh, it endured. That was by the wise man. The house that was built by the foolish man on the sand collapsed, and there was a great fall. Two things we're going to quickly pull from the text. The first thing is this. We are all called to put Jesus' words into practice. We're all called to put Jesus' words into practice. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Jesus says very bluntly, what's the point of having my words and you don't do anything with it? This is a challenge for all of us, you see. This section really emphasizes the active participation of the individual. It puts us on to us and saying, what, what are you going to, these are the things that you've learned from me. What are you going to do with these words? If you're a parent, you get this. And you'll get this as a child as well. Because I'm guessing you've told your children a number of times, follow, put my, th- put my words into practice. Do what I say. And like my mom used to say to me, Matthew, it doesn't matter how many times I tell you, it's not going to make a blind bit of difference. That's what my mom used to and sometimes does still say to me. You will st- you'll really see this at any weekend children's football game with the parents giving their child the words of wisdom from the sidelines. Kick him, get him, or her. And like they're the professionals. Um, this passage is so much bigger than that. We are not given instructions from our parents, but from the king of the universe. The one where we've just read, all things were created. The one where um, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the one who has the words of eternal life. So this is a challenge, and let me be blunt. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, there must be a change. For there to be a change, there has to be a change. And part of that change is to actually to put his words into action. To not just be a hearer of the word, but to act on it. To actually do it. James 1, 22 to 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Just really clearly do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I love how James describes this. If we hear Jesus' words and we don't even try to put them into action, it's like we're looking into a mirror and then immediately forgetting what we look like. He's given us the words of eternal life. He's given us the, the, the words where we can build our lives on a rock-solid foundation. Jesus has said a lot of things, but let's just look at what we have learned, particularly from this series alone. And I'd caveat that by when Jesus is saying um, these words of mine, he's not just talking about the sermon, he's talking about his words in general. But what have we just been uh, looking at through the past few weeks of this sermon? Just to give us a bit of context and just to remember what we've heard about what Jesus has taught us. He taught us about praying. He taught us about how to stalk treasures that will last. He taught us how to deal with our worries how we are not to judge, how we can ask, seek, and knock, and last week, how, and how there is a wide and narrow gate. In our imperfect way, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we put into action what we have learnt from Jesus. This is a real challenge for us. But Jesus promises all you need is, a, is, is faith as small as a mustard seed. Just put one foot in front of the other. With the help of your church family, as we encourage each other, Jesus gives us a gardening analogy, it's not on the screen, in John chapter 4, as he calls himself the vine. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Then he goes on to say, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's not about you. It's not about how hard we are to work. It's not about us getting, getting, doing the ABCs of Christianity and thinking that's enough. It's about the power that lives inside of us. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit and then him working all things through us, changing us, changing our desires, and then allowing us to follow Jesus' teachings and it not to be a burden. We want to do this. We want to pray. We want to love one another. We want to go out there and tell people about, about him. We want to not store treasures on this earth because he changes us. So here's the challenge. One of the warnings from the parables is this. It's possible to come to church and blend in, have lots of intellectual knowledge, effectively build houses, which look the same as everyone else's, but our foundation is rotten. And there is zero desire to put his teachings into practice. The challenge is not whether we hear the teachings or even respect it, it's what we do with it. It's what we do with it. If you have just a tiny desire to follow Jesus, if there's just something there where you think, I want to follow him and there's something within me, can I encourage you and just encourage you, just keep going. God is working in you. Because when you are putting his teachings into practice, this shows where your foundation is. And then, next point. Everyone experiences the storm. Everyone experiences the storm. 
Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Look, we all know 2022 has been challenging, and the, and the years that will come are going to be challenging as well. You could easily describe it as rain coming down, streams and winds blowing and constantly beating against us. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be someone who is building their life on Jesus. You can be someone who's doing everything that I've just said in terms of putting Jesus' words into practice. You could be, you could have a relationship with Jesus, but that same wind and rain will still beat against your house. The, 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 the person that built the house on the rock still had the same wind and rain that beat against the, um, the person's hand that was on stand. Jesus know that, knows that believing and putting his words into action doesn't mean you won't have pain. It doesn't mean that you will live a completely comfortable life. But here is the offer. What he is saying is that there is an opportunity, there is an offer for you to live a life knowing that there will be storms. But knowing that he is in complete control. The true captain of your soul, who is the rock, stable, and secure. All the way through the Bible, through the New and Old Testament, God is referred to as a rock. For example, in Isaiah chapter 26, it says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Jesus chose his words very, very carefully. He wasn't flippant in anything that he was saying. The rock shows, a rock obviously shows stability and security. He is showing that he is consistent. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have that hope that we know that he will never change. We know that he's consistent. And we know that we can go to him with everything and he is there for us. But also, there's something else. There are incidents in the Bible, like for example in Exodus, where God tells Moses to take his people to a certain location. And then when his people are exhausted and hungry and they're grumbling against Moses, God says to Moses, right, see that rock over there, get your staff, I want to beat that uh, rock with your staff, and then something will happen. God, uh, Moses does that, and then life-giving um, water, streams of water comes out and people are uh, refreshed from it. It refreshes them. It saves them. See, that's what it means to call God my rock. It means my savior, my refresher, my restorer, my deliverer. When you're going through the storm, God is not only stable and secure, he refreshes you within it. He refreshes you within it. Have you ever had that experience? He uses a storm to transform you. He gives you peace during the toughest of times. He's with you and you're not on your own. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of Jesus. Peace is not the absence of trouble, friends, but it's the presence of Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, gave a great quote from his book, Mere Christianity. It's quite a long quote, so bear with me, but just listen to what it says. It says, imagine yourself as a living house. 
God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts enormously and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. For he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. You thought that God was just building a little cottage. You thought that God was just making do with what who you are. But he's, he's building something far more precious. He's building a palace. He's, he's living with you. He's with us. What wind, rain, or flood are you experiencing right now? If your foundation is on the rock, then he is with you. And he is shaping you right now. But it will still hurt. Do Christians experience hardship in this world? Absolutely. But everyone who builds their house on Jesus will never ultimately experience the fall of their house. Because this life is only temporary. In the Psalms, it says life is a vapor. It just goes. After this life, we get to be with him forever and experience ultimate peace and joy. Where in Revelation, it says, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Don't you just yearn for that? The old order of things have just passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Jesus is not speaking about now. His last comments show how our actions in this life have an eternal consequence. However, on the flip side to that, there comes a warning. In verse 26, it says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Just as you can build your house on Jesus and spirits peace in this life, and ultimate peace and joy in the next. You can still hear the words of Jesus and not act to them and ultimately spend eternity without him. This is the great crash. Just before the parable of the wise and foolish builder, he says, therefore, and obviously we need to look at what he's talking about. In the previous verses, it says this in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, plainly. Jesus is really clear. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. This is devastating and really, really sobering and is a warning to us all. As the storm that Jesus is talking about isn't just the storm in our lives, but it's the judgment to come. So it's the judgment to come. And that's where Jesus is going. See, every, as we go through the, um, this, this parable, as we go through the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount, we're getting to this point where Jesus is talking about um, the end and eternity. And sometimes when we think about this parable, we think about it's the, it's the right now. It's the life we have now. But ultimately, Ultimately, if you have your foundation on Jesus, 
your foundation in Jesus means eternally you will be secure. Eternally you will be secure. So here's the choice at the end of this message. He's given his listeners a choice and given us one as well. And you can see the pattern as we've been looking through previous um, kind of messages on this sermon. There is a wide road or a narrow road. Where are you going to go? Do we build our lives out here and now or on the one who has all authority and will never let us down? Will your house endure or will your house crash down? Can you imagine the tension in the air when Jesus finished this message? Because these were his last words. I think sometimes when we think about sermons, sermons normally end on a a positive note, I suppose, which, you know. um, But this is is the original mic drop moment because this was Jesus' last kind of words in um, in in his sermon. I bet you could hear a pin drop as everyone who heard knew they had a decision to make to follow him or walk away. And he's made it really clear. This is a serious, these, these are serious questions we need to ask ourselves as they have eternal consequences. Now, you may feel that this is an impossible task. How can I possibly act on his words and trust him as I know I'm going to fail? Here's the good news for all of us. Because although this was the last words of his sermon, it wasn't his last act. He just doesn't leave it like that, saying there's going to be a a great crash and then walk off and don't not do anything about it. In Romans 5.8, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we are all foolish builders, really. None of us can boast in this room. None of us can say that we are ultimately wise. Even though we want to build our lives on Christ, we continually fail. No one is better than anyone else. And God knows that and he still loves us and he still cares for us. Jesus was the only person who really had his house on a rock. His house was perfect. Perfect. And the, he went through the same rain and floods on this, in this life. And the wind beat on his house as he came to this life. And people spat on him and um, went against him. And ultimately ended his life on the cross. But further than that, eternally, but in terms of a different dimension, the Lord crushed him. The Lord crushed him. It was pleasing for his father to crush him as he was nailed to the cross and he rose again. Why? So we can build our lives on a foundation that won't fail and our house won't fall. All you need to do is trust in him. Even if it's with a mustard seed of faith, he will do the rest and he will grow the desires in your heart to put his words into practice. Permacrisis, an, exam- an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. As we approach the Christmas season, the best gift that you can ever receive is Jesus who has all authority, as he loves you so much that he's died for you, that he can be the true captain of your soul and the true master of your fate. Let him take the wheel Let him be the rock. You don't have to be in control anymore. Let him do the work. And he will never be unstable. He will never be insecure, no matter what happens in this world. As Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God.
pray this message blesses us. Thank you.